So tonight we're very pleased to be able to welcome Dr. Pete Oliver, who is a scientist at the Medical Research Council's Functional Genomics Unit in Oxford. I'm sure he'll explain exactly what that means. Um, but tonight is also sponsored by the Medical Research Council, as we've stolen one of their scientists. So um, the wine is on them. And uh, they've also provided uh, some books about the brain, which you are welcome to take home with you. Uh, there's some on the table in the corner, and some downstairs, and some pens and pencils. Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So please <laughs> at the end of the night. And um, if we could give Pete a big round of applause. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thanks very, thanks very much for coming. It's a very nice evening, so thanks for coming out on a nice evening. So as you did there, so I work for the Medical Research Council, and obviously the MRC's mission is to understand more about human health. Um, at the MRC FGU, where I work, we, we try and understand about the, how the brain works. I'm interested in how the brain works, how the brain controls everyday function, how the brain controls disease. So I've done lots of work on uh, neurological diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's over the years, and also on mental health. So I've got a particular interest in how the brain controls uh, sleep and body function, and also how that sleep, how improving sleep might actually improve your general well-being and your general health. So certainly, as you'll learn tonight, hopefully you'll see that having a good night's sleep is a good thing, and it actually is really good for you for lots of ways, apart from just, just being relaxed and, and having a, a good night's sleep. So I thought I'd just start with a couple of, couple of jokes. So I've, I trawled the internet for literally minutes to find some jokes on, on sleep. So, uh, so the first one is, how do we get a baby astronaut to sleep? Rocket. Oh dear. And did you hear about the man? He, uh, he went to sleep and had a dream. He dreamt he was eating his pillow. He woke up, little down in the mouth. Oh, oh dear, thanks, sir. I'm here all week. Right, anyway. So, <laughs> that's all I've got. That's all I'm okay. So, I want to talk about today several things. So, basically, talk about why we need sleep, why sleep's important, um, what happens when we sleep, actually, what happens in the process of sleep. Some of you may not be familiar with that. How much sleep do we actually need? How that varies between different people, different environments, different animals. That's very important as well about sleep in other organisms. Perhaps we, other people live in different environments where there's not so much light or different temperatures. So I'll talk a little bit about that. And a little bit more about circadian rhythms. And circadian rhythms are all about the body clock, your internal body clock, the way your body controls everything in your body, and how that fits around your daily cycles. So I'll talk a little bit more about that, a little bit more sort of scientific content there. And if anyone actually falls asleep during the talk, then that's fine. You know, if that's your way of joining in with, with the theme, then that's, that's okay. So I won't, I won't complain, but that's fine. Okay, so why do we actually need sleep at all? Well, in some ways, we, we don't really know. Obviously, we know for having a good night's sleep, you feel refreshed in the morning, and having a bad night's sleep, you feel tired, and you might feel crotchety and, and cross the next day. But what about, what's actually mean? Well, certainly in terms of energy, how much energy we need, well, actually, apparently, only, only about 50 calories are saved compared, sleeping compared to sitting up in a chair. So actually, it's not, in, terms of, in terms of energy, actually how much energy you use, it's not really saving energy. But very importantly, it gives us a chance to, to, to mull over what's happened during the day. It gives us a chance for the brain to, to take stock of what's happened and try and help us recover. So it's very good for, for brain function, but I'll talk a little bit more of that in, in detail. So just a bit of facts about lack of sleep. So obviously lack of sleep, as I mentioned, is obviously makes you, feel, makes you might feel bad the next day, obviously makes you feel tired. Also you might, might start to forget things. Lots of things go wrong when you don't have much sleep. And it says here apparently a lack of sleep up to 17 hours without sleep is actually equivalent to around about two glasses of wine in terms of actual cognitive or kind of motor function or kind of day-to-day um, -day function. So it seems quite a, quite a large amount. And certainly you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily drive after having two glasses of wine, but if you're, often you may be driven after a, lot, after a long day. So certainly it's something to think about. And about 20% of all accidents on the roads are actually caused by fatigue by tiredness so certainly having good night's sleep is very very crucial for for general function general body function and motor function 
Other things we do when we sleep, apparently when we grow, we actually grow during the first two hours of sleep. That's actually the time we actually grow in the night. And also, also there's lots of data on it might be involved in our immune system and helping us heal ourselves. But I won't really go into that today, so I'm not a, I'm not a medical doctor, so I won't be telling you too much about the medicine side of sleep. But certainly, um, healing is a very important part of the sleep process. Okay, I'm not going to talk about, not going to talk about dreams either, because that's, that's a whole other whole world of things that's maybe not a little bit less scientific, a bit more, a bit more out there in terms of science. But certainly dreams are obviously a big part of how we sleep. But what they have, people have found out in terms of science of sleep, they found out that actually having dreams and, and your brain being active during sleep is actually very, very important for your daily function. So I was giving you an example of an experiment that people have done. So what they've done, it's a very simple task, is they've taken their, their wrong hands. If your right hand is, this will be your left hand. So I'm just going to draw, I'm going to draw around my own hand. So I get, it, get the dimensions right. So it's my left hand. Oh, okay, it's not very good. <laughs> okay, it's a bunch of bananas, but you get the idea. Okay, so here's your, here's your wrong hand. So what they've done is they've tell a group of students, lots and lots of students, and they told them just to tap out a simple pattern with their fingers on a keyboard. So say we, we number the fingers one, two, three, and four. So for example, on the computer screen, flashes up a, a sequence like uh, you know, four, one, three, two, four, okay? And that's the sequence they've got to tap out on the keyboard. So some of you want to try that. You want to try it just on your knee or the person next to you, knee if you like, just tapping out like four, one, three, two, four, just, just over and over. Okay, get the idea. It's quite a simple task. So it doesn't take you know, too much trouble for, for, for people. But the trouble is, you know, it gets boring. That's, that's fine. But importantly, you gradually get faster and faster. So if you keep doing it over and over again, you gradually get faster and faster. And that's your brain learning, improving, the, the connections between the brain and the, and the body improving. And that gets faster and faster. Importantly, though, it gets to a point where you can't go any faster. You're, you're, you're basically, physically, you're, it's the best you can do, and you can't do any better. But what they did then, they, they took some of the students that have done this, for, for hours on end they did this, unfortunately, they took some of them and they gave them a good night's sleep, and other people they gave them a very poor night's sleep. And what they found is that if you have your graph here of, of, of like performance, how fast they were tapping, so say they got to a point here, they started off down here, and they got better and better and better, and they started to plateau. They couldn't get any faster at doing the tapping of their fingers. But if they had a good night's sleep, then straight away after the sleep, they got better. Amazing. So it's incredible. So literally having the sleep improves your your performance in that particular task. And I think to me that's that's quite mind blowing. That actually, just all that practice you've been doing. That's given you some, 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 some memory in your brain, but actually having the sleep has actually improved your performance on that particular task. It's a very simple task, but it shows you how the sleep part of the actual process, when they had a sleep here, is what's called memory consolidation. So this is where the brain's making new connections overnight and actually improving your performance. And what's even more amazing, which I thought was even more amazing, some of the people, they were doing the tapping, and some of them, they didn't actually do the tapping themselves. They actually watched somebody else do the tapping, and they also improved. So the people who were watching, they hadn't actually done the task, but they still, they still by watching it, rather than doing it, the next day they actually were faster than the day before. So that means basically you don't have to do it, you just have to watch it and that's enough for your brain to make the connections and improve your performance the next day. So that's the power of sleep, so that's the sleep giving you free improvement in, your, in, your, in, your, in your, some of your, your daily life. That's, that's quite amazing. So basically any part of your life you want to improve your performance, just watch somebody do it before you go to bed and the next day you're better at it. So, so that's, that's the way it goes. Okay, so that's quite interesting. It's a way that sleep can really improve your, your brain function. Okay, so actually what happens during sleep? So some of you may know about, sort of heard about REM sleep and non-REM sleep, the idea of, of sleep and dreams. So I was going to go through it very quickly, it's important so we're all familiar where we are. So certainly, as most of you know, as you go to sleep, you go through several phases during your sleep time. And this is what's called, it's, well, it's a long word, but they call it a polysomnogram. So basically it's a long word meaning a way of measuring your activity during sleep. It could be brain activity, it could be physical activity, whatever you like. So how it works then, a typical night's sleep for like a, an ideal night's sleep then. So here's your a graph of the night time. So we're going to bed around about here, okay? And we're going to have different phases of sleep, okay? So we're going to start with at the top, we're going to be obviously awake, so we're obviously awake at the top here. Then the different phases, as most of you know, they have this picked a phase of sleep called rapid eye movement sleep, so REM sleep, okay? So I have REM sleep up here, okay? This is when, as I'll talk about a bit more in a second. 
And then after that, we'll have all our stages of sleep. So we'll go one, two, three, and four. It's basically more and more deep sleep as we go down the numbers. So this is deep sleep, and this is obviously less, less deep sleep. Okay? So what happens is then, you get into bed, you're nice and comfortable, the lights are off, and you actually start going through, through the stages. So we'll start going through stage one and two. We'll skip remnant and we'll contact in a second. Go through stage one and two. Your body temperature starts to drop. You start to relax. Your heart rate starts to slow slightly. Your muscles start to relax. And you go into stage three, into towards deep sleep. And you don't quite get to deep sleep yet, but a little bit further. And you go right down into, into stage, down to the bottom. And then you go a little bit of this, this, this deep sleep, if you like. But actually, this deep sleep is very important because that's really your real restful sleep where the brain activity is quite low. So you have a short amount of, of, of your restful sleep, if you like, and then it goes back up and into your dream state. So basically, you almost start to wake up, if you like, and get into your REM state. Then you have a little bit of REM sleep, your dreaming state, if you like. And this is where the brain's really, really active. The brain's really firing, lots going on. You're thinking about what's happened during the day. And you're very, very active. And this cycle of going through, through deep sleep up to REM sleep goes on several times during the night. And these phases change as you go through the night. So what happens is then, your stage of deep sleep is quite long at the beginning of the night. And your stage of REM sleep is quite short. And gradually, as you go through the night, these stages swap over. So what happens is later in the night, then you'll go through another phase. Again, you'll go through into deep sleep. A little bit shorter this time, maybe. Back up to REM sleep. A little bit longer REM sleep, so maybe a longer dream that time, if you like. And then as you go through the cycle again, maybe a little bit shorter, maybe not quite so deep sleep this time, and again, longer REM sleep. And then by the end of the night, towards the end of the night, this is where you may not get, you may not get into the really deep sleep stage. You may just go fairly light sleep. Maybe, maybe you think about this, maybe it's like four or five o'clock in the morning and you're kind of drifting in out of sleep, you're dozing a little bit. And that, that's what happens. You get to quite a light stage of sleep. Maybe the dreams <coughs> might be more vivid, so your brain's really active, and get to the point where you're off sleep when you're awake and you get up. So this is a kind of... Although this is very, obviously very model, um, not your perfect night's sleep, if you like, these cycles of, of stages of sleep from deep to, to, to rapid eye movement sleep and dreaming goes on and on several times during the night. And these cycles should happen round about sort of four to five times during the night. Now, of course, that's a, an ideal night's sleep, a perfect night's sleep, if you like. So that's your, your REM sleep, deep sleep, and then that changes through the night. So certainly, as you can see, in terms of you're not simply just dropping off to sleep and then just, just being unconscious for, for eight hours. It's a real, quite an active process, and your brain function is really changing. So as I mentioned before, down here, your brain is fairly inactive. There might be some small amounts of activity here, but importantly, during your REM sleep, you get these really fast, fast, um, fast-acting neurons. So your, your brain's really, really active as you go through the dreams. But down here, this is what's called slow-wave sleep, or this is where you have what's thing called delta waves, where the brain waves are very different. They're very much shallower and deeper and longer, and that's how the, that's how the deep sleep looks. So certainly, although you're actually physically asleep, your brain is still very, very active. Importantly, in terms of your muscles, though, at the top here, your REM sleep, you're actually, your muscles are pretty much paralysed. So the idea is that when you're sleepwalking, you're acting out your dreams. That's simply not the case, because literally your, your muscles, muscles can't move. So certainly, in this state, your brain's active, but your muscles are, are, are basically, you can't move. But lots going on, lots of dreams going on. So there's the cycles of sleep as we go through. And obviously, body temperature is very crucial as well. The body temperature drops during this first part of sleep. That's very crucial as well. So we need to relax. And all these aspects are obviously going to have a big effect on, on how you sleep. But certainly, a, a typical night's sleep is, looks like this. If you've had too much to drink, then obviously things get a bit messed up. Um, what happens is often you find, well, I find this anyway, you, get, you kind of get into a, a very, very deep sleep very, very quickly. So what happens is you kind of get these, these you, you kind of go like this, and you end up in a like this, like this, and then of course, you have, then you start getting these very short bursts of sleep, and you end up to this sort of pattern where you sleep very heavily for a little while, and the part of the effects of the alcohol, and after a while that wears off, and you're getting at these sort of short bursts of like lighter sleep with waking up quite quickly, and that's a kind of common pattern. And this pattern seen with lots of people where they might get to sleep quite easily, but they find waking up quite tricky. So there's lots of, lots of combinations, but certainly this is the type of pattern of the way things go when you're asleep. Okay, so I'll talk a bit about um, patterns of sleep and brain activities. What about how you sleep? So certainly everyone's got their own favourite position, the way they like to sleep in, in, the, in their bed, um, and they've done, it's a little bit of work that's been done on this. 
Um, it's, it's, it's very, very scientific, um, but let's see if you judge for yourself. It came from a good journal, it was called the Daily Mail. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't read it myself, but yeah, apparently it's, it's very well highly cited. So what is it, they, they took about a thousand people, it's a proper scientific study with psychiatrists, and they, they, say they, they filmed them asleep and, and they worked out which position they preferred to sleep in, and then referred that back to their general demeanour and their general personality, and they found out was there a link between your personality and the position that you sleep in at night time, okay? So I was going to do a few diagrams to show you. So most people, as it, from this survey, at 40%, they like to sleep in the fetal position, okay? So I'll, I'll do a quick show. So it basically means this shape, there's the knees tucked up, um, like that, curled up like a baby, that's the idea. And that's, that's about 40% of people, okay? So that was basically, most people like that position best. I mean, have a think about yourself. It's, uh, these people actually were filmed, so maybe it was, uh, uh, there was obviously varies during the night as you move around, but the idea is, is that that's the fate position, so that's really most of the people, okay? There's also lots of other, other combinations, okay? We also have, and they've all got their own names as well. They've also given their own names by, the, by the, the, the scientists. So we have the first one called the log, okay? Now the log, is, if you're a log, you basically sleep, well, you sleep like a log, so, so you're the, that position, so legs, legs arms out straight, on the side, um, legs aren't that straight, okay, that's fine. Okay, and if you're a log, that's about, 15% of people, apparently, according to the survey, and those people are apparently easygoing. That's good, so I'll give them a little smile. Maybe. Easygoing, okay, that's good. So there's a log. Okay, that's 15%, okay? Okay, the next one, the next one's now these people, is it's called a yearner. Now, a yearner, slightly different. So yearners, they're still quite straight out, but the thing is they have their arms kind of stretched out as if they're giving someone a cuddle, but there's no one there, you know? Um, and that's, they're called a yearner. And the yearners, now apparently these people are apparently very cynical. So perhaps why they're sleeping on their own, I don't know. But anyway, so, so there's the yearner, and that's, um, so they're not quite so happy, so that's the yearners. Okay, and that's, that's 13%. We also have, there's not too many of these, don't worry. We also have the soldier. Now the soldier s sleeps like to attention, like this. So soldier straight up, arms out straight, legs out straight like that, okay. And those people are apparently um, very quiet. So they're, so, so they're very quiet people, so that's a quiet person, that's the soldiers. And there's two more, we also have the, now this, this is um, the free-faller. Now the free-faller, as you can imagine, sleeps on their front like this. So as you know, some people like, do like to sleep on their front. So free-fallers like this, um, like this, legs out splayed, and it starts the back of their head, so, some head. so that's the, that's the free-faller. And those people are brash but nervy underneath, apparently. So brash yet nervy. And finally, this is how I sleep when I've had, so my wife tells me I've had too much to drink. The starfish, and the starfish is when you're splayed out um, like this, legs, arms, arms like that. Uh, and, yeah, you're in a bit of a state, really. So that's, that's a starfish, and apparently those people are very helpful, so that's good, that's good. There's a starfish, okay. So, anyway, it's, it's, it's a bit of fun, but is it, there was, was some science behind this, but it's basically showing you that how we sleep is obviously we know what happens when we sleep, we know the, the, the stages the brain goes through, we know what the body goes through, but actually how we actually do it personally is obviously very, very different for each person. People have their own ways of doing things, their own routines, the way they sleep, the, like, how they have their pillows. Uh, they also said that most people like having one foot out the duvet. I'm not sure what you think about having feet out the duvet. Some people like lots of high pillows, some people like no pillows. Um, like, so we have some, my wife and I, we, she gets very cold, I get, I get very warm, so we have to have half a duvet. Hers, her side's heated, mine's not heated, so that's, that's, that's how it works. But everyone's got their own way of working around this. So certainly, how you sleep is very, very crucial, but uh, it's certainly everyone's got their own way of doing it. There's no, there's no secret to a better sleep based on your position, but certainly everyone has to find their own, their own way. There has been some work done on very, people with very serious insomnia, obviously very serious condition, people that really can't sleep at all, and they found that those people can't really get comfortable in bed. They can't relate being comfortable at bedtime with sleep, so that makes them really hard to, to get to sleep. So certainly being comfortable in bed is actually very, very crucial, so something to think about for, for when you go to bed tonight. So see if you're a yearner or a, or a log or a soldier. That's good. Okay. So... Mention sleepwalking quickly. So I mentioned, as I mentioned, that the, the body is paralysed during your sort of your sleep phase, your REM, your rapid eye movement sleep. So we're not acting out our dreams when we sleepwalk. Certainly, it's uh, sleepwalking is something that's very common. It's something to worry about. It happens a lot in teenagers and also older people as well. Um, apparently, some Australian woman claimed that she was having. Uh, 
well, with some children here, some relations with some, some other with men while she was still asleep. Uh, and she claimed that it was she didn't have any recollection. She was asleep the whole time. So she said, um, and they actually did, did some analysis on her on her sleep and found she did actually have some deficits in the way she slept. She actually had longer stages of slow wave sleep when, when her brain's very inactive than normal people. But uh, having said that, she was she was lying. But but uh, but still, there was there was actually a link between her, her sleep. So she did have sleep problems, but it didn't explain why she was um, doing what she was doing. Okay. So I, I, I've got more on that, but I have to uh, fit in with, with the audience. Okay, so um, now in terms, of, in terms of how much sleep we get, that's really very crucial. So obviously having good night's sleep is very, very important. The average in the UK is around about seven and a half hours, and it's actually dropped by 20 minutes over the last um, 20 years or so. So certainly as the lifestyles get more busy, there's more 24-hour things to do, internet, TV going on late, which there wasn't before, then gradually our sleep's getting slightly shorter, which is not necessarily a good thing, but certainly the way, the way it's turning. In terms of record sleep, there's lots of, quite a few people who have tried to stay awake for the longest. The actual record is 11, well, one of the records is claimed is by a, a guy called Randy Gardner. So I don't know if that's his, his name or his job, I don't know. Um, he was uh, 11 days without any sleep at all. So and this was done in 1965. It was a proper scientific experiment with some scientists there. Um, apparently by the end, he was still lucid. He was still able to, to communicate. He was hallucinating, apparently. He thought he was Pele, apparently, according to what he said, he said. But he still beat uh, a scientist at pinball when he, when he played him. So still his cognitive function, his motor function was still okay, despite being awake for 11 days. So it's certainly not recommended, but certainly it has happened before. It has been attempted in this country as well. A guy called Tony Wright, a guy in his 40s down in Cornwall, um, stayed in a pub for 264 hours, so again, about 11 or 12 days, quite recently. He ate raw food the whole time. He had, there was a webcam on. He had friends with him the whole time. And he, he, it, was a, it was a real attempt. Uh, unfortunately, that just after it happened, he was going to claim his record. And the, the, the Guinness Book of Records told him that they were no longer accepting records for sleep because it's a, a medical thing. They were long, no longer accepting records for medical things. It's, it's too dangerous. So unfortunately, although he's claiming the record, he's actually not in the record book, so the poor guy. But, uh, but he, he did him no harm, and certainly he claims that uh, he could do it again any time he likes. So certainly, but don't try it at home because um, we won't get in the record books anyway. So there's no point. Fine. Okay, so how much sleep do we need? Well, certainly we think that humans need around about seven or eight hours, is ideal if we can. And obviously it depends. Different people have different opinions on this. There's lots of famous examples, Margaret Thatcher and, and Winston Churchill, these people that slept only two or three hours. And some of that's true, and some of that's based on the, the amount of sleep they could actually get and how busy they were. But importantly, what about other, other animals? So certainly we know how long humans sleep. What about other animals? I think you've got to think about this quite carefully, because we think that humans, we, we know what we're doing, but what about all the rest of the animal kingdom and other mammals? Well, each ones have different physiology, different size, different requirements for food, they live in different environments, different temperatures. So I want to do a little game and see if someone can help me work out and guess how long some of these animals sleep. So would somebody come up and help me with this? I'd like to have a go at this? Yeah, have a go? Yeah, okay. So what we're going to do is try and match up the different animals with how long they sleep. So we've got some, some little cards here with some times on, different hours. So this is obviously two hours a night up to ten hours a night. So I'm just going to stick them there. If you try, basically, just have a go at matching up the, what you think the hours are with the different animals, okay? Just, just have a try. I mean, it's, 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 see what you think. Just have a try. Just have a think about the animals, what they do, where they live, and see if you can work out which one sleeps the longest. They're, these aren't in order, so it could be it's a mixture of different numbers. So just have a go and see how you, how you get on. So it's, there's no like, kind of... <laughs> just have a think. Just have a try. That's good. I'll just take a few moments to do that. So the idea is, of course, that, yes, as you see, you're chatting about it now, that you've got to think, well, where do these animals live? What's the weather like there? Um, what's the conditions like? How, when do they eat? How do they eat? What's the, where, what, what environment do they live in? Um, how do they actually sleep? We'll talk about that as well. So, um, so we'll see you go. So, it's good. No, you sleep well. That's good. That's good. There's no cats on there. So, as you know, cats do sleep for, yeah, sort of 15, 14, 16 hours a day. That's, that's very normal. Um, you can help her out if you like. 
<laughs> That's good. You think about, you know, how does a giraffe get to sleep, or a horse? Have you seen a where's, how does a horse sleep? Have you seen a horse sleeping before? Does an elephant lie down when it sleeps? Or, yeah. It's <laughs> good. It's good. She's doing all right, do you think? <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, when the ducks about ducks, have you seen a duck? When did you last see a duck asleep? There's not quite enough, don't worry, that's, that's fine. That's good. Okay, thank, well done. Thanks very much. Give me a round of applause. Well done. Fantastic. Very good. Okay. I've, I've got them written down, so it's easy for me. Okay. That's good. Okay, so that's really, it's a really good attempt. So, absolutely right. So, some, a lot of the animals you think of sleep a lot, they do actually sleep a lot. So, obviously, sloths do sleep a lot. They sleep around about 14 hours a day for a sloth. So, that's, that's as we expect. Obviously, very sedentary animals. They, they actually come down to, the, down to the ground to feed and they go back up in the trees. So, obviously, as you see them, they move very, very slowly. That's absolutely right. Now, the longest is probably, these are very general numbers based on you know, living in very constant conditions. So, the python actually sleeps probably the most out of all of them because, as you know, they, they might take a large, large prey, like an antelope or something, and then really go to sleep for, for several days at once to digest it, and then and, and carry on the next day. So on average, it works around about 18 hours a day. Um, I won't go through all the more in detail, but certainly elephants, man, all, the, all the animals with hooves, they don't sleep very much at all. So your, your pigs and your ducks, and sorry, your, sorry, your, um, your sheep and your horses, they haven't got hooves. Your, your, uh, your, sh your ducks with hooves, they don't sleep at all. Yeah, too. Um, so your sheep and your horses only sleep a few hours a night. So actually, right. So horses and things only sleep three or four hours a night. Again, and horse and uh, and pigs the same. They're, they're, they're a little bit more like humans. Pigs sleep sleep, sleep around about eight hours. But importantly, the, the worst of all is actually the giraffe. So the giraffe is actually the record. A giraffe only sleeps around about 1.9 hours a night on average. And that's it's mainly partly because physically it's hard for them to sleep. They do actually they can actually are actually get down on, on the ground to sleep. They see them curled up sometimes. Um, it's, it's very hard to spot. But just physically, it's hard for them to sleep. And they have a, they have a very fairly sedentary life, and that, that's really all they can do. And again, surprised some of your horses and sheep maybe only three or four hours a night. Uh, pigs, like physiology, pigs are quite similar to well not all humans, but generally they're very similar to humans. Their size, their size, their size of their body and things. So they sleep about the same as humans. Chimpanzees slightly longer than us, around about ten hours or so. Um, and elephants again, around about three or four hours. So certainly. Hoofed animals, not very much sleep, and then they gradually get longer and longer, so that gives you an idea. So it's really to think about that, although we think about us going to bed and sleeping for eight hours, of course, other animals, it's very, very different. I'll talk a bit more about that a bit later, about how animals cope when there's no light at all, but I'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit later on. Okay, so that's some, a little bit about animal sleep. So what about, what about things like, oh, well, I mentioned in my pre I think my little blurb about this. So about animals like dolphins and, uh, and, uh, and flamingos, well, they actually have this thing called, they have this thing called unilateral eye closure. Now, this means, basically, they effectively can shut off half of their brain to almost sleep and then keep the other, other, other side alive, okay? And that means that they can have a sleep while they're, while they're travelling, while they're swimming, while they're, while, they're, while they're flying, if you like, and ducks can do this as well. And obviously ducks don't sort of just, just fly with one wing, otherwise they go around in a circle, wouldn't they? But we get the idea. So basically, so they're able to effectively rest half their brain, keep the other half active, so they can still live, they can still respire, they can still breathe, but it means they can have to rest uh, while they're actually on the wing. Again, for migratory birds, that's, again, that happens. They can, they can rest half their brain while they're still, while they're still flying. It means they can keep going for, for days on end, so I think it's, it's quite amazing. Um, in fact, with dolphins, they actually have, have one eye closed and then they switch the eye. So literally, with their dolphins, when they're asleep, they have one eye closed and, they, and then they, they switch the eye and the other thing. So it's amazing. It works. Again, with flamingos, I've mentioned that before. So flamingos, obviously, they sleep with one leg. And again, so they can shut off half the side, keep one side awake. They can keep that, that leg alive and keep so they don't fall over. Obviously, means they don't, uh, they don't fall over, but it does mean they can rest their brain and not actually fall into the water. The other claim is apparently if they stand on one leg, they go, the chance of being knocked over by a duck is reduced by about half. So I don't, I don't think that's true, so I'm not sure about that one's fun. Okay, so a little bit about animals. What about um, migrating birds? We talked a little bit about that. So what about circadian rhythm? So 
So we talked a little bit about sleep, why we need sleep, what sleep's for, a little bit about what actually happens when we sleep and what we do when we actually sleep in bed. But what about circadian rhythms? So these are basically the rhythms of our body that control our everyday life. And so circadian means, it's obviously from Latin, it comes means about a day. So these are the rhythms that are around about 24 hours, okay? And that's very important. So very crucially, obviously as we know, we live on a planet which has a roughly a 24-hour cycle. The Earth cycle is around about 24 hours. Of course, if you live in the North Pole or South Pole, it's very different in terms of the light exposure, but generally our, our body cycle is around about 24 hours. And Basically, our physiology is adapted to a 24 hour, rough, approximately a 24 hour cycle. So, lots of th things impinge and control the way we sleep. So, not just the light, also the when we eat. Uh, obviously, having a big meal not sometimes makes you feel sleepy, so having regular meals is obviously can be quite crucial. Obviously, stress and things like that has a role as well. How, how tired we are, all those things can control the way that we sleep. But importantly, the brain has a really important role in this. And basically, the part of the brain that controls this is in hypothalamus. And I have a, a, a brain here, courtesy of the, of the MRC. This is a uh, former chairman of the MRC. No, it's not the MRC. This is, this is a, a life-size brain. So this is actually the real weight as well. I'll, I'll pass around a second if you, want, if you want to have a look. This is a human brain. Obviously, it would normally go this way around, so the front of the brain here. And the part of the brain that controls your body clock, your, your master pacemaker, as they call it, is called the suprachiasmatic nuclei, so the SCN. Okay, I'll write that down. And this is really the, the, the key part of your brain that controls the way you sleep. So SCN is this. Okay. Now, in terms of size... Now, the human brain has around about 100 billion neurons, 100 billion cells. Okay, so that's, what's that, 100? I've got this right. It's American billion, isn't it? So we'd like that. Yeah, 100 billion neurons. Okay, but the parts, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, but the part of the brain that controls your sleep is actually only about 50,000. So, okay, so, so that's really, so, so to me, it's incredible. So you have all those neurons, all this, all this ability in your brain to do all sorts of things and complex functions, but the key thing which controls your everyday life is really actually only a tiny part. So that's what's that 0.00005% of, your, of your, your brain capacity. And it's right down in the hypothalamus. And this is basically what happens is, I'll probably show you here on the diagram, we have the eyes obviously, at the front of, obviously in the front of your head, and there's an input that travels from your eyes that accepts the light. It travels down some neurons, what's called the re retinal hypothalamic tract. It's just basically a stretch of that connects the eyes to the brain. So the eyes connect to the brain. It comes in here through the rest of the optic nerve and enters into the hypothalamus some, somewhere in here. And right under here, right under there, that's where you find the SCN. It's a bit, it's a bit small to see on this diagram. It's right inside, inside the brain there. And that connection between the eyes and the brain is very, very crucial. It tells us when it's, when it's light, it helps entrain the body to, to a light-dark um, cycle. Importantly, the SCN has a very distinctive structure. It's very, very tiny, so it's only 50,000 neurons. It's very, very small, around about the size of a, a small grain of rice. So not, so not long grain, probably basmati, you know what I mean? Um, it's, about, it's like a tiny, tiny pine cone. So basically, it's two little tiny pine cones, about that big in your brain. So it's this kind of, this kind of shape. Uh, approximately, like pear-shaped if you like, and then that, and that's, that, that's your SCN, and that controls your body clock. And what happens is then the input, or the, the stimulation of the light, comes into the, into, into the eyes. So let's, let's draw so a diagram here. So here's your, here's your sun coming in, and then the connection from the light from your eyes, let's just draw an eye here, it looks like a sun, doesn't it? No, it's, it's, it's a, here's your eyes again, here's your eyes, okay, it looks like a... Anyway, that's not bad. So there's your sun hitting, hitting the... Uh, hitting the eye, and then the, and the, the signal from the eye gets transduced along this, what, this, what's called the RHT, so there's this connection between, the physical connection between the back of the eye and the SCN, that's the other RHT, and then that goes straight to the SCN, and then the SCN then, then controls what happens in the rest of the brain, and the, the timing, so not, not every aspect of your, of your activity, but certainly... 
Yeah, we can go on to that. Yes, exactly. So if there's no input to the, to the, to the light, then things get a bit tricky. So I'll explain that in about one minute. Is that okay? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a very good question. It's very important. So you can actually you can train the brain with light, but importantly, if you've got no, no light at all, then the SCN can take over. Now, the SCN is very, very powerful because in the absence of light, it can still tick along around about a 24-hour cycle. Okay, it's a very, very powerful thing. So I'll show you what I mean by this. So let's say we have somebody that's... that's um, in very controlled conditions, with, with 12 hours light, 12 hours dark, so very sort of controlled conditions. So let's let's put them in a in a. They've done this. They've done this with real people. It's normally normally students, unfortunately, but that, you know they they get paid for it, so it's fine. So here's your 12-hour light dark cycle. So we'll have the so the light dark cycle. So we'll have the lights on and the lights off. Okay. So, so you live, make somebody really controlled 12-hour light dark cycle. What happens is is obviously they're people are active during the day. Active, 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 and they, 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 and they go to bed and they're not active and then they're, and they're active again. Okay, it's a very straightforward sort of activity cycle. So each day they're active and they go to sleep, and it's just, again, it's a very controlled situation. So you get the, obviously it's not exactly like this, but you get the idea it's very controlled. Active during the day, not active during the night. Now, importantly, if you switch off the lights completely, okay, then as this, exactly as you alluded to, then the SCN says, hold on a minute, we've got no lights on, how are we going to control what's going on? We've got no input, we've got no, nothing coming in to tell us what's happening. Well, the SCN is very, very powerful. It actually has its own rhythms internally in the SCN, which, which takes over the whole system. So what happens then, in our, in our constant darkness, then the body clock takes over. And that means rather than having your, your cycles of, of, of 12, 12 forced by the light, your SCN can take over and actually still drive the body. So what happens is, is your body clock, your endogenous body clock, your SCN, is actually slightly uh, more than 24 hours. It's about 24.1 hours. Okay? So what happens is each day, if, if this is like a perfect situation, then you'll be active and then going to sleep. But actually what happens is each day he'll drift slightly because your body clock's slightly shifting longer than 24 hours. So you get this little slight shift, if you like, in the activity. You know, this is kind of an ideal situation. So you get this kind of shape of the graph where Every day, you think every day, every day, every day is slightly longer than the day before. So you have this slight slope of the, of the line, if you like, when, when people are active. Okay? And that's so it's like 24.2 or so hours, give or take. So you can see here that the, in the absence of light, you can still live a normal life because your body clock takes over, your brain can take over, but it's not exactly, because it's not trained by the light-dark cycle, it's slightly out of 24 hours, but it's close enough, which means you can still function normally. It means your, your organs know when, what time of day it is, it knows when to digest food, um, when, when to be active, when hormones switch on and off, things like that. It's very, very crucial. So your SCN is actually vital to your body function, but importantly, it doesn't need the light all the time. It can cope when there's no light there. Other animals have different systems. So, for example, in a mouse, so, which is obviously, as you know, mice run around and they, they have uh, very active animals. Obviously, they're, obviously they're not nocturnal, so the, the graph's gone the other way up. But if you like, so for a mouse, then if you have a mouse doing the same thing, so the mouse is obviously nocturnal, so they're active during the night time. So here's a mouse in, in uh, lots of activity during the night time, and then they go to sleep. And the mouse, is, their, their endogenous clock, their, their, the way their body ticks, is actually less than 24 hours. So if you turn off the lights for a mouse, then they actually go the other way. So, they actually, so their days are actually shorter, so, this, so the graph goes the other way. And then the, the, and their activity goes like this, so each day is slightly shorter, like this, and then the angle of the graph looks like that. Okay, so, so although our body clock is very powerful and it's very close to 24 hours, so circadian around a day, different animals actually have different endogenous body clocks. But it's only out by a small amount, but it's close enough, which means we can cope. So, so certainly that means when you go to another country and you have jet lag and things, your SDN struggling, it's thinking, hold on a minute, what's happening, it's all going wrong. But the SCN is still able to cope because it still knows that it's still able to tick along around about the right rhythm, even though your conditions are actually very, very different. So, so I'm glad you raised that. It's a very important issue. But certainly, this is the take-home message. The SCN is your master pacemaker, controlling the rhythms of your body. And if your SCN doesn't work properly, or people that have cancer that's hit their SCN, then they, they really don't know what time of day it is. So somebody that has a, a tumour on the SCN, for example, they just, they just don't know when to sleep and when to wake up. The whole body clock is completely out of sync. So certainly, the SCN function is absolutely, absolutely crucial. So that's very, very rare to mention, but it's certainly something that has been, has been characterised before. Okay, it's so a little bit about the SCN. So, 
So a little bit about connections between the body and the rest of that, that's very crucial. So we have our SDN, our endogenous body clock. We have the light coming in, as I mentioned before. We have our sunshine hitting the eye, and the eye is hitting the SCN. Okay, that's fine. Now, importantly, the SCN connects to the rest of the body, so via the brain. So, that, so the SCN will connect to, to parts of the brain which control the release of hormones. So some of you might, may have heard of um, different hormones that control um, sleep, if you like, like melatonin. So melatonin is a hormone, if you like, which causes drowsiness. So melatonin levels go up during the night. It helps you go to sleep. It's in very, very just simple terms. That controls um, so hormones. That's very important. Okay? And also that also then indirectly controls other, other parts of the body. So obviously the rest of your body, your, your, your liver, your heart, your, all, all the body organs. And they all have to be timed together. Because if, you're, if your brain thinks it's midnight, but your, your heart and your, your, your digestive system thinks it's, it's midday, then it's, you're going to be in real trouble. So as you know, those of you who travel to the States or maybe to Japan and your whole day shifted by say 10 or 12 hours, you're really confused. You don't quite know when, whether to go to sleep or wake up or when to eat food. And there's no sort of secret trick to, to tricking jet lag, but certainly this is your, basically your body telling you that it's all out of sync. The light's coming in at the wrong time, your body thinks it's a different time of day. So certainly having synchrony, as it's called, synchrony between the SCN and the rest of the body is absolutely crucial for, for day-to-day -day life. So jet lag is a good example where the lights might be coming at the wrong time, your body thinks it's a different time, and really you just, you just, it's just hard to cope. So there's, reason, there's no secret answer, but certainly jet lag is obviously something that's very, very critical to some people. Okay, so I talked about um, communication between the SCN and the rest of the body. So we can actually describe this in front of my way of, sort of I'm trying to think of a way of illustrating this. I've tried this a few times. I'm trying to find a way of doing it that um, we can all understand. So this rhythm is actually very, very crucial. And, and this communication between the, the SCN and the rest of the body is really is, is, is very, very, very important. So I'm just trying to, try to illustrate it in a way that we can all kind of do and isn't, isn't visual. So what I've done before is, um, so not only do I, I'm a scientist, I also play the drums. I've been playing the drums for about 25 years. And uh, so I thought I'd try and do like a, a rhythmic example of, of how this actually works in real life. Okay, so this is, this is basically communication between the SCN and, say, let's say the liver, okay? Let's pick another organ, okay? Now, your liver is obviously very crucial, very crucial for your bodily function, but it also has a, its own rhythm. So your liver still has its own endogenous rhythm going on, but it needs the SCN to tell it what time of day it is to keep the rhythm going, okay? So I'm just going to illustrate this, if you like, with a, with a diagram. So I know some of you might not be musical, but I'm just going to just do a quick diagram here. So this is like a, so those of you who do know, this is like a, a, an ordinary bar of four beats, okay? So we're going to have a, like a simple line. So that's going to be it's one beat, and then we're going to have one beat, and we have three Three beats, nothing happens. Okay, so it's going to be like basically one beat and then three, three gaps. Okay, so we try that. We try that first. Okay, so it's going to count to four. So we'll, we'll all do a clap on one. Okay, and then two, three, and four will be rest. Okay, so basically clap two, three, four. Okay, should we try that? Okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, that's good. That's great. That's easy. That's great. Good. That's good. See, Wallingford couldn't do that at all. So, so you're doing well. You're doing ready. Okay, that's good. So that's our basic. That's our, that's our rhythm. That's our that's our SCN firing, telling us what time of day it is. That's our master rhythm. That's our master clock. Okay. Now, importantly, your liver has to listen to this this message and try and, and, and stay in time. That's very very crucial. Okay. So that's what happens. So a liver happens. A liver might. Liver cell might say, "Okay, let's listen to the SCN, and all the connections through the body tells it what time of day it is." So your liver will be going on to the same beat. Okay. Now the trouble is, what happens? If the communication is lost, what happens if you're at your SCN, your, your master rhythm is broken, then what happens? Well, what happens is the liver's got its own rhythm. So the liver, liver can still beat away. The cells in the, in the, in the liver can still sort of remember its, its, its circadian time. It's not as strong as having the SCN working properly. So I'll try to illustrate that for you if you can. So this time we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to divide you into four, and each group's going to be a different liver cell. Okay, I'm just trying to explain how it's going to work. Okay, we're going to have the same bar, so four beats in the bar again, okay? But we're going to have different groups. So this is basically... Four groups. We're gonna have one, two, three, and four. Okay. One, two. Okay. Okay. Four. Okay. And this is basically what's gonna happen. 
is our connection between the SCN and the liver is broken now, okay? But the liver cells can still beat at a rhythm, but now the question is, are they going to be in time or not with our, with our endogenous clock? Let's see what happens, okay? So, so these, these people over here, if you want to be number one, okay? And you can be number two, and then three, and then four, okay? So if I count to four, and we'll start with number ones. So number ones are doing the same as last time, okay? So just on the first beat of the bar. I'll bring in the others as we go and see if we can get it to work, okay? So number ones, ready to go? So, okay, so I'll count in four. One, two, three, four. So one, two, three, four. That's good. Keep going. Don't stop. That's good. That's good. One more. Okay, keep going. Okay, that's good. That's good. It's, it's hard, isn't it? You see, that's it. Okay, that's good. That's good, that's good. Do you see how, if I'm not telling you when to come in, it gets hard to see, and that's, that's the SCN. So if the SCN's not there, it's quite hard to, to find where to start, okay? So we'll try all doing it at once and see, see if we can cope, okay? So I'll, I'll keep counting this time. So number ones will start, and I'll bring in the number two, three, and four, and I'll keep counting this time so we can get it to stay in time, okay? So I count to four again, so start with number ones, okay? One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Two, that's good. Okay, two's coming in ready. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, okay, three's ready, four, one, two, three, ready, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, that's good, okay, four's ready, one, two, three, four, one, two, okay, that's good, that's great, that's great, that's brilliant, very good, well done, that's great, really good, okay, okay, that's fine, well done, that's brilliant, well done, okay, give yourself a round of applause, that's very good, very good, well done, okay, good. Okay, so what I was trying to show there is basically what's happening there is that you, if, I'm, if I'm telling you when to do it, it's actually not too bad. But if I just, just stop saying anything, it's, it's hard. So you've got, you're looking around to seeing what the person next to you is doing, and that's the key. So exactly what happens. So if, you're, if your connection between your brain and your liver is messed up, for example, it could be other organs as well, then the cells have to kind of rely on the cells next to them to try and work out when to come in, when to actually fire, when to be on time. Importantly, as we did the clapping there, what was happening there is each, each group was like an individual cell. Each group was beating to a rhythm, and it actually was the same speed as the brain was originally, but at the wrong time. So imagine, imagine millions and millions of cells all going slightly out of time. It's just a real mess. So importantly, as we did the very first time, this, this, endogenous, this, this core rhythm from the SCN is absolutely vital for making sure the cells in the body are acting at the right time. That's very crucial. So I hope, I was, hope I managed to illustrate that. But important things to remember is that this connection between the SCN and the body is very, very crucial, and that timing is, is very crucial for your, for, your, for your body function. Okay. But what happens if... Um, you live somewhere where there's no light at all. Now, I guess a bit more tricky. So we talked a little bit about, about uh, if you're blind, that's a very... Sort of, and then what about anim what are animals that live in, say, in the North Pole? Okay, so they've done some work on, on reindeer, like actually a type of caribou that, that live on, on Svalbard. And Svalbard is in the Arctic Circle. Some of you might know that, because obviously recently there was a sad case where some, a, a boy was killed by a polar bear there. And, and actually the guy who does the research on this has actually shot two polar bears while he's been there just doing research on sleep in, in, in reindeer. So it's obviously a very, very dangerous place. But certainly it's a very good example of how a, a body or an organism copes with living in complete darkness, obviously when it's night, it's winter time, and then suddenly in complete light when, it, when it's summertime. So reindeers have a very interesting lifestyle. So what they found is that in reindeers, obviously their, their lifestyle in the North Pole is very, very tricky. So obviously during the, in the wintertime, it's, it's dark the whole time. So literally it's dark all day, isn't it? As most of you know, it's constant winter there, so there's constant darkness. And then, of course, gradually during the year, it gets slightly lighter. So they have a, a short period where they have some, some light and dark. Just do it for a few weeks, probably, where they have a nice, sort of straightforward light, light dark sort of cycle, if you like, sort of light and, uh, light and dark. And of course, gradually it gets to a point where it's just light all the time. 
of course, which is, which is obviously very different for their summer. And again, they go back to a light and dark end. So they have this sort of cycle of, of really their, their body clock really being messed up by having the light input really changing. But what they found in these reindeers is that they, they still breed at the same time of year every year. So they still kind of know what time of year it is. But their activity is really, really completely arrhythmic, which means that basically they're not, they're not active during the day and the night like we'd expect. So a reindeer is basically just active all the time and just basically fits around the light cycle as, as it goes. So rather than always being active at this time of day, whether it's night or day, that doesn't happen at all. Basically, they're active pretty much all the time. They, don't, they, they sleep at short bursts, but they, really not, they don't fit to the, to the normal cycle. And what they found is the reindeer's body clock, their SDN, doesn't really fire at all, not really properly. And, and the only the information they get for release of the SDN is actually very blunted, which means very, very sort of uh, very ineffective. So which means they're having to adapt to their surroundings, but it's not the SDN that's doing it for them. It's actually the effect of other, other organs and the, and the light as well. So actually having a poor, poorly acting SDN for the reindeer is actually fine because they have enough cues from the environment, from the light, and from other things to keep them going. But certainly in other animals, the SDN is very crucial, like us. But if you live in constant darkness and they're all shifting your clock all the time, you can get away with having a, a, a non-functional SDN. So certainly lots of work needs to be done on this, but it's a good example of how a situation in humans is actually quite different from, from other organisms around the world. Okay, so I'm going to talk a tiny bit just towards the end now about uh, how this actually works sort of in terms of the genetics. So I'm going to go through this in too much detail, but um, trying to explain a little bit how this actually works. So I was talking all about neurons firing and, and cells working. So what do I actually mean? So how does it actually work? Well, I'm trying to think of an analogy here. So, so you've got to imagine you're at the North Pole. So the North Pole depends where you live. Uh, and, uh, and so it's Father Christmas or Santa Claus, and he's there with his, with his uh, I should plan this a bit better, and his, his elves, and he's working in the factory, okay? And he basically is there producing toys. And uh, they've got to be careful they don't make too many toys, because if they make too many toys, they all pile up around them and the elves can't work. So what they have to do, they have to they get their toys, they're all built up, and they have to say, okay, let's take some toys out of the factory, sell them, and then we can start making some more toys, okay? And this cycle is kind of a little bit how the, how the SDN works. I'll explain that now. So what happens then? Here's your cell in your, 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 your neuron, if you like, in one, one neuron, if you like, in the SDN. And it has these little workers. Now, these are little workers, these are proteins, as we're going to call them. Now, they're called, um, for example, clock and B-mail, okay? They're actually called clock and B-mail. And it's the name of two proteins. And these are like workers in, in the cell. They basically they switch things on. Okay? So there's your workers switching things on, making things happen in, in the cell, in the neuron. Okay? And these basically bind DNA. So DNA, as most of you know, DNA is like your, your, your uh, code in your, in your cells. And these basically, there's basically workers switching on the code, making things happen. So that's your, your elves making toys, if you like. Okay? So making toys. Okay? So this is clock for B-mail. I'll write it down because um, some of you might want to see the details, but uh, don't worry what they're called too much. So they're called B-mail and clock. These names are proteins, the little things in, in, in the cells. And they're doing the work. So there's your elves making toys. Okay? And it gets to a point where they're, where they're, they're switching on lots of genes all the time. And uh, some of these genes are called, some of these toys, they're called purr and cry. So again, you've got to work where they're called. But basically, you're making lots of these genes and they're called purr and cry. And so they're making lots and lots of these. This is being made all the time, switching on lots of purr and cry. And this is like basically this, like Santa's elves making lots and lots of toys. And it gets to a point where, where the elves say, well, look, we can't, we can't move. We've got all, these, all this purr and cry, all these toys around us, but we can't actually make any more toys because they're all in the way. So, and that same happens in the cell. So the cell makes lots of purr and cry at certain times of the day, but it gets to a point where it can't cope with it anymore. It's got too much purr and cry around, okay? So this purr and cry then says, okay, we need to get it out of the way. So what Purr and Cry does, it actually comes in, actually goes into another part of the day, and actually switches off the production of B-Mail and Clock. Okay, so this means now we've got lots of Purr and Cry, so lots of toys being made, and therefore we get to a point where it just stops B-Mail and Clock doing their work, stops the elves doing their work. So we get this position where 
clock and beam are then, are then not working anymore, and we don't make any more of purr and cry. Okay? So that basically what's happening is they're making lots of toys, and basically they, they can't work anymore, and, they, they can, and then therefore we don't make any more, any more workers. They can't do any more work. So this way, this is what's called a negative feedback loop. Okay? What it means is you're making something, making lots of it, until you make so much of it, it stops the self, itself being made. Okay? So you have lots of beam and clock, lots of purr and cry. The purr and cry gets away, stops beam and, and, and clock working, and then it goes back and the situation starts again. It gets to a point where purr and cry levels go down, so the toys are being sold or put into the sacks, so the purr and cry is going down, until, we get, until, until the purr and cry disappears, and that can go back into the cell, it allows B, Mel, and Clock and the elves to start work again, and this, this cycle continues round and round. The idea is it's like a self-perpetuating cycle of making lots of things and then them switching off itself and going round and round. This, this, this got some negative feedback loop is actually very exquisitely timed to the 24-hour cycle. So certain times of the day, these levels of these things, these levels of these proteins go up and down, and that's this cycle of, of, of increasing levels and decreasing levels is the way that the, the body clock actually works. So in terms of actually what's happening in the neurons, this, these, these levels of proteins going up and down is, is how it actually regulates itself during the cycle. So sorry if that's a bit fast for some of you, but just trying to give an example of how it actually works at a molecular level, at an actual real level of on, on the actual body clock itself. So just an example of having a little bit about the molecular side, how what actually happens at the DNA and the protein level in the actual brain itself. So I'm going to go into too much detail on that, just give an example of, of how things work. I just want to finish then a little, just a tiny bit about um, sleep and health, and obviously sleep is very important for your, for your body, as I mentioned before, very important for your general well-being, it also makes you feel better, it's very good for your general cognitive function, it's very important you're sleeping well, but also sleep is a very important feature of lots of neurological diseases, so lots of diseases like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, lots of patients in those diseases do suffer from very poor sleep, and nobody really quite knows why, but importantly, Patients, for example, in Parkinson's disease, they actually have poor sleep as, a, as an early sign, an early symptom, if you like, long before they actually appear with physical symptoms. So somebody uh, with PD might have very severe physical symptoms later on, but actually early on, poor sleep could actually be a really early marker for some of these, uh, these later disorders. So certainly, people are thinking that the, the, the subtle brain function that goes wrong in these diseases actually might be a very early indicator of problems later on. So nothing to worry about if you're sleeping badly doesn't mean you're going to get PD. It just means it's an example of how sleep is actually a very subtle indicator of, of problems that are happening in, in the brain. I think that's very, very important. Also, some, a lot of work I'm doing is also on the world of sleep and mental health, and up to 80% of people with um, severe depression and schizophrenia actually suffer from, from very poor sleep. So again, sleep seems to be a very important feature of mental health as well as, as more serious neurological disorders. And again, it can seem to also be an early predictive factor for these diseases. So having poor sleep in, in adolescence might be mixed with other, other factors, might actually lead to a predisposition for disease. So certainly, improving sleep could be actually really important and actually very cheap and simple intervention to try and improve people's well-being. Not, not, not always the case, but certainly a little bit of work has been done on this uh, all over the world. So, for example, they're doing simple things like basically putting very strong lights in, in old people's homes at very specific times of day and see if it improves their quality of life and, and maybe improves their general ability to, to cope with things or their brain function. It's actually having a, a positive effect. So something very, very cheap like that can really improve general, people's general well-being. So it's not a solution for everybody, but certainly Controlling your body clock with light or with other, other things can actually be a really important way of controlling your, your general well-being. And there's some really good research being done on the role of sleep and the role of light and controlling the sleep timing with your general well-being and your, your brain function. There's been some work done in, in uh, animal models of this. This is not my work. This is work done in Cambridge, which is quite astounding, where they've taken a mouse model of Huntington's disease. And Huntington's disease, as you know, is a very serious neurological disorder. There's no cure. It's, it's very debilitating and very serious. And they've got a very, a very way of modelling this in, in a small animal model. And what they've done is they've... These animals, they actually sleep very, very badly, as well as having symptoms of the disease. So they thought, okay, well, let's, if we make the mice sleep better, will it improve their brain? Will it improve their cognitive function? And it did. It was amazing. So they actually improved the mice's sleep with drugs, 
and they actually found their brain structure wasn't, was actually was surviving much longer than it was when they were sleeping badly. So it's a really good example of where improving sleep can have real positive effects on brain structure of, for really serious disease as well as having effects on your general well-being and, and, your, and your general uh, way of life. So certainly the way the research is going forwards on this, there's still lots, lots we don't know, lots we don't know about the way that the sleep controls brain function, but certainly interventions in sleep could be a really important and very useful and in fact a cheap intervention uh, looking at uh, curing disease and certainly improving the quality of life for people and their carers in, in the future. So that's what I think I'd like to finish there really. So I think I covered, sorry I covered quite a lot of things quite quickly but I appreciate it's quite a broad area. I wanted to cover like lots of different areas so there's lots of chance of questions. So a little bit about why we do, why we sleep, what we need, what we need, why we need sleep for, what happens when we sleep, the, the different patterns we go through when we're asleep, how animals sleep and how animals cope with different, different uh, times of day. And a little time bit about the molecular side of things. We can talk about more of that if you like. And uh, thanks to the for the, our clapping and for uh, doing our, our timing competition. And uh, I'd like to finish there. Thanks very much. And don't have nightmares. Thank you very much. Yeah, so I mean, I can allude quick, very quickly to uh, obviously something you may have heard in the news. So, if you heard this, the school they've shifted the school day. Have you heard about this? They've there's some of you. I've mentioned this briefly because I know it's been in the news recently. So that's an example of where the, where the people actually take some action on this. So the idea is that adolescents, their their body clock is actually slightly different from when they're younger. So what the school said, okay, let's shift the whole school day a little bit later. The so school opens at eight o'clock, but the school lessons don't start till ten, and the whole day is shifted by by a couple of hours. I know it's probably a nightmare for the families, logistics of taking kids at ten o'clock. I don't know how that works, but they found that as, as the GCSE results came out recently, it has actually improved results and improved truancy and, and improved general attendance by having by adapting the day to to the sleeping patterns of, of children. So that's certainly not the answer for everybody, but they found that making, making teenagers get up when they're, when they're sleepy means they're not paying attention, um, they're not uh, attention at the right time of day, they're struggling with the lessons. So they found a solution was actually just to shift the whole day to fit with the sleeping patterns of the children. So that's an example where teenagers not getting enough sleep means they're struggling at school and maybe not attending school, and that's, that's one, one way they've approached the problem. But certainly it's, it's good, it's, having a good night's sleep is really good for you, it's, it's good for uh, in, in your whole body, but importantly it's very good for attention and especially for school it's very, very crucial, but obviously starting school at 10 isn't the real answer for everybody, but it's, it's one way of approaching it. So. <laughs> No, I don't think so. If it's, if it's short bursts, you, you can get back to sleep afterwards, can't you? So that, that, if it's a routine, then I think it's fine. It's only with those with young kids and things. Um, my daughter's eight now, so I've, I've gone through that stage. But it's, um, yeah, you, once you get in a routine again, if you can get back to sleep quickly, it's absolutely fine. But certainly, yeah, that, that's good. It's just, if it's especially something that's routine, you, obviously you're relaxed. You know what's happening when you get up. It's like a routine. You're relaxed when it happens. You're relaxed when you go back to bed. Uh, then it's just no problem at all. That, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's 
it's really, really varies every night. I think that this, this diagram is very much like the, your sort of model system where you have these cycles that last around about 90 minutes, hour and a half, two hours each, and that happens four or five times. But yeah, it really varies. Like I said, some nights you'll, you'll, you'll drop off and then you'll have lots of, you know, this, this, this pattern of slow wave sleep and then you'll have lots of dreams and it really, really varies. But certainly, this is the kind of the rough idea of how it works. You, you might, also, especially when you're dreaming, you think, oh, I've dreamt all night, but of course, you're only probably, probably dreamt for a few minutes. You only remember a little bit of it somewhere later on or earlier on. But, but certainly, yeah, it's, it's the pattern really varies, so certainly, yeah. It's a, it will really vary. It's, it's exactly that. Exactly that's right. Yeah. Uh, if if you're just well, so so they've done some deliberate work on this. If you if you have a disturbed night, so they've actually done experiments. Actually, if they deliberately disturb people around here and make them have a bad night's sleep, then then that's that's certainly they, that doesn't have problems later on. So certainly, if you can make sure you get enough of this bit, then that's that's really important. So so I don't I don't know how you control it, but certainly if, you know if it's where, if where he sleeps quiet and dark and, and you know, if you're not being disturbed, then then that's the best you can do. I think yeah. Mm. I see, yeah. <laughs> I see, yeah, yeah. I think that's, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's exactly, I don't think there's like a real secret for that, but certainly, um, yeah, I, I can't help you directly, but certainly it, it will vary between different people. But just, yeah, yeah, oh, that's all they are. Yeah. I should give you a dog gin and tonic and then you sleep away three and then it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, the whole... Right, yeah. That's, there's some work at the air. There's lots of, I'm not sure that's been signed to be They certainly say having a certain, you know, if you start having, that's exactly right. So if you start going into this phase, of course, you know, you're going to have problems getting, waking yourself up. So the idea is 20 minutes means you don't have time to kind of get too much of the deep sleep. So therefore you're not, and then and if you want to get into here, you've got to get from all the way up to wake again. It's actually quite hard. So that's, that's, that's when you feel groggy, you know, when you feel like really bogged down. So if you have a little nap, you're still in fairly light phases of sleep, and then you can go wake yourself up, and that's fine. But as you know, the whole societies have, have siestas and naps, and that, and that works fine. So yeah, whatever works for you. And obviously little kids do it, and it's fine. They grow out of it. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's probably the reason. It's, it's, it's not getting too deep to sleep otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know if quality is the right word, but certainly, I mean, you, you can imagine that the number of hours people slept was a bit longer. Is maybe slightly different. So yeah, I, I, no reason why not. I suppose weird. There's so many external factors that influence your sleep, and you know, 24-hour society and, and caffeine, and all these things that maybe weren't available will have an influence. So yeah, I, I'm not sure. It might be better for our health. You know, mixed with modern healthcare, with that might yeah, it might have a real beneficial effect. But um, I don't think that's hard. To, there's only sort of scientific work on that, I don't think. But um, interesting to, yeah, it's, good, it's, fair, it's a fair point, I think, yeah. Because people used to obviously sleep when the sun got up, they got up and they went to work, and then when it went down, they went home, so yeah. But, um, Yeah, that's exactly. So it basically goes through a full cycle. So as you know, babies will have a very different cycle from, from, from adolescence, and then it goes as you go later on. So certainly they, they, the idea being that when you're older, you kind of your sleep patterns shift slightly, and you kind of want to go to bed earlier and get up earlier. And that's that's actually the way your body clock works. So I think old people getting up at five, you know, six o'clock in the morning, going to bed very early. That's 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 basically that's the way the body clock shifts. So yeah, it varies as you, as you go on. So. At the time you go to bed, can you, you can fit, you can make your own arrangements and make your own make your own cycle if you like by training yourself. As you as you train a toddler, you can do the same thing. But certainly, any sudden changes, that's when you have problems. But yeah, it really varies as you get older and, and younger. So, 
Uh, it's, it's, always, it's always about the same. So it's, it's always about the same. It's just kind of when it happens is, 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 is the key. So it's when, when you're feeling sleepy. So if you're, if you're, if you're nodding up in front of the television at, at 8 o'clock, then, then go to bed. You know, that's, that's the thing. You know, if, you, if you keep yourself awake till 10, 11, then you've missed, you've, you've missed the bit when you're, you know, you're, you're ready to get asleep. And then that's the only course you, you start struggling to get into the, these other cycles. So, but that's just um, that's, that's not the answer. That's just, that's just an example of what you could do to help. <laughs> Okay. Uh, in an office compared with physical activity on a running. Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I don't. I don't know about that. I really don't know. That's a really. Good, I can. Uh, I could find out for you, but I don't. I don't know about that. That's a good question. Actually, certainly in terms of calories, obviously they're quite different. But uh, that's that. That's quite a different system from the sleep things. Obviously, calorie burning is very different from from you know being physically tired. So. Yeah. Um, People, I mean, some people get, some people get like, you know, this sort of euphoria, don't they, from lots of exercise, and that, that probably gives them adrenaline, and actually probably keeps them awake perhaps more than, than, than a mental thing, which can get you yeah. mentioned. So, so, yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm interested. I, can, I can find out for you, but, uh, yeah, but I don't know that. Sorry, yeah. So if I'm in the deep sleep part, and let's say um, I'm awake for yeah, that, exactly. That, that's that's well. Yeah, if if you didn't do what time it is, yeah, if, yeah, you, you'll, that's when you feel rough because that's that's when if you get suddenly woken by something, then yeah, that's partly why you feel because your brain your brain isn't isn't in the right stage. It's, it's basically you know it's the brain wave has gone from being nice and slow and relaxed. Suddenly you're you're up and awake and being active. So that's when you're going to feel groggy when you're suddenly woken up in the in the middle of deep sleep. Uh, oh, see, I was, well, it's, it depends if it's 2 a.m. It's better to go back to sleep, but if it's here, you, 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 know, you might as well get up. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, it depends on, yeah, it depends on you know, what was happening. But certainly, that's, that's, as I mentioned before, this 20-minute thing might come, I'm not sure, might come from the theory this, that once you get to that deep stage, coming out of it's a bit harder unless you've already got back to the, the light sleep. So that's why, towards the end of the night, you have less of the deep sleep and more of the light sleep, if you like. That's, that's the idea. So, yeah. What was the stat at the start of your talk regarding the two glasses of wine? So that was 17 hours awake is equivalent to a two glasses of wine. In terms of that, that, that's based on tests of like cognitive function, so motor, motor tasks and things you know, in the laboratory. So people who drank two glasses of wine were as bad as people who had been up for 17 hours at doing certain tasks. So it's, very, it's, it's, it's a proper scientific piece of work, but certainly a, a rough guide, yes, yeah, certainly. So. So, so 17 hours awake then? Yes. Well, that that would be that would be getting up at you know nine o'clock in the morning and then staying awake till three a.m. or something. Yeah, yeah. So that that's just like a, yeah, like a, yeah, like a full day and a clubbing afterwards, and then and actually you'd be drunk then anyway, wouldn't you? <laughs> but yeah, so say you went clubbing and then didn't drink at all, and then and then yeah, that's right. But uh, but that's but that's very important because of course so many accidents are caused, especially on the roads. Most of the most road accidents are caused you know at those times of night is when when people are normally you know should be asleep. So that's really crucial. So fatigue is obviously a really crucial aspect for for you know accidents generally. So that shows you why sleep's very important. Wondering mm. how adaptable the body and mind must mm. have been for those Chilean miners mm. who traveled around yeah. so yeah. long, and how much time they slept. Mm. It's like the sleeping would have been their only mental escape. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, as, as I mentioned before about you know people at constant darkness. I mean, their their body clock would have been all over the place but having said that I suppose all the environmental stimuli and all the stress would have been overtaken lots of those effects I think so yeah it would have been a, a real I mean I think so the point is so as I mentioned before the SCN is very crucial but of course effects of, of stress and feeding and things all those have a, a, can, you, also, you can train yourself a little bit as well having you know so 
all the adrenaline run and all that, all that anxiety will probably have a big effect on the amount of sleep. So certainly, yeah, I mean, sleep's, uh, sleep deprivation is, uh, is amazing. I mean, people that have severe insomnia, it's a really serious neurological problem. I mean, it's, and certainly, it's having it so that, yeah, you can't imagine what it's, uh, what it's like really, so, yeah. Oh, it's interesting. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think the ideas there they're, they're quite low level wattage, aren't they? But I think if you if you had a really bright one next to the bed all the time, I mean, it might, I don't think it doesn't, have, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll sleep worse, but it can't. It's not ideal because it helps the brain know that it's, it's bedtime. Simple as that. It's a very, probably very subtle effect, but obviously if they're having a nice routine, they're eating at the right time every day, and things, all those things will help in, in train the body. But certainly. But yeah, I think I think it's a fair, it's a fair point. I think yeah, it's like, it's like having lights on. People have lights on all the time now. Many years ago, they wouldn't have. There used to be complete darkness everywhere. As soon as it got, as soon as, as soon as the sun went down, it was dark everywhere in the whole world. But until now, it's all lights everywhere. So yeah, all those things will have an effect. It may be very subtle and may be overtaken by other other sort of routine things, but certainly, but uh, yeah, but yeah, it's <laughs> a good point. No, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> so I might drag Pete downstairs um, and sit next to the wine. That's not good. <laughs> Only two glasses, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to stay and ask him any more questions or have any, another chat to him, then, then you're welcome to do that. Um, but obviously, if you need to head off, then, then that's fine. Um, but if we can give you a really big round of applause for you. Thank you. Thanks for coming.